Welcome to the Wisdom for Warriors podcast. On this episode, I'm joined by Brian Scholl. He has the faith of a mustard seed. All right, welcome back, everybody. to the Wisdom for Warriors podcast. Uh, once again, I just want to thank all my listeners to this point. Um, I continue to see listeners from outside of the country, which is pretty awesome to be able to see that. Again, if you want to be on the show or uh, you know, you're listening in, but I would love to hear from you at Wisdom for Warriors podcast on Instagram. Uh, today, I'm joined with my buddy, Ryan Scholes. Uh, we've known each other for a few years now. Um, and he is another one of my buddies that started a men's group and is reaching out to a lot of guys. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But before we get into that, uh, Brian, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you. Hello. Um, so my name is Brian Scholes. I originally hail from the great state of New York. Um, grew up on Long Island. I am a Rangers, Yankees, and Giants fan. We won't hold that against them. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I moved from New York when I was about 12 years old and moved to Roanoke, Virginia. And I stayed there until I went into the Army at 18 um, went overseas to Germany for my first couple of years in the Army, and then I relocated back to the United States at Fort Bragg, which is now known as Fort Liberty. Mm. This recently changed just last year, so it'll still be Fort Bragg as long as I'm around. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so I got out of the military in 2005. I did some contracting work for the government, both stateside and overseas in Iraq. Uh, came back stateside and got a job as a federal police officer. And I've been doing federal law enforcement for the last 15 years. And it's kind of me in a nutshell, married, two daughters. I have a daughter that's in her second year of um, college doing nursing program. And then my youngest is about to be 14 in a couple of days. And she's all things volleyball. So that's kind of my uh, life as a girl dad. All right. So this just hit me. Um, I think we should talk about this since it's so fresh on our mind. Um, if anybody's out there listening, um, and know who Chad Robichaud, Robichaud, yep. Now he's never going to come on my show. I can't even pronounce his name. <laughs> no, good, um, good old Cajun name. Yeah. So we just had the pleasure of hearing from Chad. Um, there was a lot of things that we were both just talking over dinner, how we resonated with a lot of things that he went through nowhere near to the extent, of course, but how he just took, how he went through everything he went through, some of the lowest of lows, turned it around and was doing some of the most amazing things um, for other people and ultimately to glorify God. And it's stories like that that just makes me feel like I'm not doing enough. But that's where, like with this show, I feel like I'm really trying to do more. And um, like I mentioned, you, you have the, the men's group that you got started years ago. And uh, just for anybody that's listening, if, if you feel something on your heart that like, oh man, I really should be doing, I feel like I should be doing this, I should be doing this, you know, to just do it, be obedient. And uh, I think we're gonna talk about that a little bit here with your, your testimony. But if you haven't heard of Chad Robichaud, look it up. It's an amazing story. I'm sure once you hear his testimony over the, over the last few years, you'll understand who he is. You just didn't realize who he was. You know, I think a lot of people have heard about um, some of the events that he's been directly a part of and, and had ultimately the, the largest impact. And until recently, I didn't know who it was. You know, in the, in the news, you just hear about these civilian former you know spec ops guys that are going and saving people in other countries and you hear about it and you don't think much of it but when you could put a name and a face with the event it's pretty incredible and sitting there tonight listening to chat he just has an incredible testimony of really sorrow his brother was murdered at a, a very young age of 14 years of, or 15 years of age and kind of how you have an opportunity to either be a victim or a victor you can take that circumstance and use it for sorrow or you could use it to to propel yourself into the next level and i think that's what started his whole military journey and then since um, 
getting into significant PTSD moments where he's having panic attacks and just overcoming all that. And now he leads other people through this nonprofit called the Mighty Oaks Foundation. And it's just cool how he took a, a travesty in his own life and propelled him to use that to really have a successful career. And then once again, hit turmoil with his family and his life and the, the battles and struggles of PTSD and then overcoming that. And now he leads other people to facilitate that same perseverance to get past, you know, the spot in the whole show tonight was, or the whole storyline was get off the X. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So I want to steal his whole, his whole show, but um, what was the one thing he said uh, that Mighty Oaks is, they preach now is if you're doing the same thing, you want, what, remember? It's kind of like the definition of insanity, I believe, yeah. you know, if you are doing the same thing, expecting a different result, then, if you're doing, if it's working, yeah, for sure. So yeah. As so my like, producer just said, <laughs> if what you're doing isn't working, why don't you try something else? Yeah. And that like, it's so simple, but it's also so profound, right? For sure. You know, how many of us go through life like, oh, I want to change this. I want to change this. Well, I've said, I know I've said it on other episodes. Like, if you want to change your health, you know, you don't have to go ahead and just run out and run a marathon, but just start making those little changes. For sure. Uh, if you want to change your mental stability, you know, again, changing what you ingest visually and audibly, right? Stop listening to certain types of music. Stop watching certain types of TV shows and, and uh, movies. And then also spiritually, obviously, is just getting into the word. And uh, I always like, you know, listening to some good old worship. Um, that it's just those little things that can really start to, you know, snowball effect into better things. Um, what was the biggest thing you took away from it tonight? And then we'll move on. I think he, he quoted Mark Twain, I believe is who mm-hmm. had said it. Yeah. But he said, the two most important things in life is one, the day you're born. And then two, when you find out why you were born, like what's your purpose and then live on mission from that point forward. And so, like I said, victim or victor, you're going to face forks in the road throughout life and you could use it either to motivate you or maybe to propel your, your future, your career to assist others, to get past the trials and tribulations. Uh, Somebody told me a long time ago, yesterday's tribulations are tomorrow's testimony. Mm -hmm. And so if you go through tough times and you don't, tell people how to overcome it. And ultimately you hold the key to their prison, but you're not willing to share it. That's good. All right. Well, on that, um, you know, you, you told me you wanted to talk a little bit about your testimony. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I'll let you kind of take it away. All right. So growing up, I've always been pretty good at sports. I've always, you know, been the captain of sports teams and, I think a lot of it was rooted in pride and arrogance and boastfulness. And I, I just got a lot of characteristics from high school and through the military and, and such. And so I've, growing up in church, I went to a pretty strict church and I was all in for God at, at different points in my life. And I went astray at different points in my life for a variety of reasons. But I never really felt welcome at church, and it's probably because I was more the rebel kid, and I was different than the goody two shoe kids that were in church. And I always felt somewhat of an outcast and not really welcomed. And that's a sad reality that some people feel with churches, especially ones that are pretty strict about how you dress and what you do and what you say and, and right. such. So I had a job opportunity that really was going to propel my career financially, give me a pretty significant pay raise and and a much cooler job title. And I was very arrogant and boastful to my coworkers about what I was going to do and kind of braggadocious, if you would. Mm -hmm. And so unfortunately some things didn't go right. And even my first week of employment with this new agency, I just decided to resign. You know, I didn't feel right getting the job. Um, you know, God opens and shuts doors. I'm a firm believer in that. And numerous doors have been shut and I just kept breaching them, you know, throwing the C4 on them, blowing them clear and finding workarounds and landed this job and and started and nothing went right. 
everything was kind of in disarray, if you would. And so I ended up just resigning from that employment, thinking I can go back to my previous job and my chief would take me because I was a good employee. Little did I know that while I was in this hiring process, there was a federal, um, probably budgetary constraints. Mm -hmm. So there was this hiring freeze across the federal government. So I resigned from my job and didn't have a job to go to. It wasn't really a calculated decision, <laughs> which is, you know, it is what it is. So I found myself unemployed. I had a master's degree. I had, you know, military experience, I had law enforcement experience. I had all this stuff, yet I had a really, really difficult time finding a job. You know, the economy had gone down and jobs weren't as prevalent. And I found myself slinging Christmas trees in the cold for cash under the table on the corner of a busy street. Where, where was this at? This is in, was in North Carolina. Okay. Yeah. So like I went from the top of the world to even higher to absolutely bottom of the pits, probably some of the lowest I've ever been in my life. And once again, I think pride and stuff just got in my way in the sense that I did not feel adequate as a husband. I didn't feel adequate as a father. I was struggling to pay the bills. We um, just trying to make ends meet. And, and ultimately what, what went down is we kept having yard sales and we would sell off goods and, you know, whatever we could willing to part ways with. And that went on for quite some time. You know, my parents, thank God, uh, helped us as much as they could. And we ate dinner at their house quite a bit. I got back into the my military days, like eating ramen and yeah. hot dogs on a tortilla, whatever yeah. it was around. Like readily available food was food, so yeah. uh, kind of like a low spot, you know. And during this time, I just really cried out to God and my God, get me out of this. I live for you, you know. And I've said that many a times. There's been times in the military and overseas in Iraq, I said that same prayer. But as soon as God got me out of it, I just went right back to my old way of doing business, you know? Yeah. And so with this particular incident, I kept crying out and small doors would open, but nothing ever led to a new employment. Nothing ever led to getting back on my feet. And it was just a really, really dark time. During this time, I, I, I ended up getting back in church. I went to a church that I really found to be home. We started going religiously, you know, every Sunday we were there. We started, um, we did child check-in, I did security detail. We got involved in the church on a lot of different levels. And it, I really started to feel that God was using me. And a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about in a men's group about Use your natural abilities to serve God and let him be the super, mm. right? That's what makes the supernatural abilities for his divine intervention mixed with your, your natural state and can really reach people because that's your comfort zone, you know? And so one Sunday, the pastor, unbeknownst to me, kind of towards the end of service and the, the sermon kind of tugged at my heartstrings, you know, like, Sometimes you're in church and the, the sermon is about you. Yeah, right. <laughs> you feel like yeah, he's been there. <laughs> you feel like he's talking to you, and so it was and sometimes the, he's actually looking at you. Yeah, for, <laughs> for sure, it was one of those moments. Yeah. And at the end of service, probably ten minutes before the end of service, he said, uh, "And I guess he was probably just being obedient to God." But he's like, "I feel like God's asking me to to pray over those who are unemployed for." for a new job, for a career. And he's like, so if you're in this place and you are unemployed, go ahead and stand up. And I was so embarrassed. I was so, so embarrassed. And I didn't know why, why me, why now? And so I'll, I'll just backtrack five minutes before this happened. The offering was going around. And so this is Sunday morning, Saturday, the day prior, we had sold off a bunch of our furniture and kind of like a last ditch effort. So we had enough money to pay the bills. And while the bucket was going down the aisles, I just felt the Holy Spirit like heavy on my heart saying that money that's in your pocket, 
it was just a couple hundred bucks, but it was all the money we had to our name. Zero dollars in our bank account was probably overdrafted at the time. And for whatever reason, I guess felt God say, if you have a faith of a mustard seed, then you are going to just reach in that wallet and bless me and I'll in turn bless you. And I just had this, I mean, it couldn't have been more than a minute, minute and a half for that bucket to make it to me. And I actually grabbed the bucket and I passed it to my, my wife that was sitting next to me. And I felt instant sorrow. Like I almost like, you know, Jesus said, uh, you'll, you'll deny me three times before the rooster mm, crows. I yeah. felt like that kind of shame and guilt right in that split moment. So I grabbed the bucket back, I pulled out my wallet. I grabbed every dollar bill, every 20, every, whatever was in there. It was a couple hundred bucks. I placed it in a bucket and I passed it along. And my wife and Nicole looked at me <laughs> a little bit crazy eyed, but she never, <laughs> she never questioned it. Yeah. She, she probably knew that if I was making that decision, it was for, um, a conviction that I was receiving from God to, to do such. So I had willfully gave everything I had. I had nothing left to give and I gave it away. And then here we are five, 10 minutes later, the pastor's asking us if you're unemployed to stand up. And I had so much shame that I was unemployed that I wouldn't stand. One other person stood on the other side of the, the sanctuary and Nicole elbowed me in the ribs and said, stand up. <laughs> and so like a good listener I did, but it was I was not willing to do such. And he's like, if there is somebody standing by you, please make your way to them. We're gonna pray over them right now. And as people prayed for me, I just wept like a little baby, you know. Mm. It was such a, a moment of surrender. And after he got done praying, he said, Listen, um, you know, this is I'm just kind of winging this. This is just put on my heart by the Holy Spirit, but if there's somebody around you and we just pray for them, if you feel led to do so, please bless them. Mm. And I didn't know what that meant, but as people opened up their wallets, they gave us gift cards, they gave us cash, they wrote checks, they um, gave me business cards and said, hey, send me your resume. It was such an immediate response to me surrendering, giving everything. You know, it says in the Bible, you know, the faith of a mustard seed can move mountains. And in that moment, when I went all in with every dime I had, and God in turn blessed me minutes later with tenfold, I was on mission for God mm. nonstop ever since that moment. That was the, the fork in the road where I went hard right, and I've been full steam ahead. That's so good. Um, how long ago was that now? Um, two th 2012. Okay. So it's been a minute. Just, been over, just, over, yeah, just over 10 years. Yeah. Look at you now. <laughs> Look at you now. Changing so, the hearts and minds above it. That's it. <laughs> um, so one of, one of the biggest first interactions we had was uh, when we went to Man Alive. Yeah. And just like the rest of us that have been there, mm -hmm. uh, that was a pretty pivotal change in our life. For sure. When, when, uh, when was the first time you went to Man Alive? It was, man, it was probably five or six years ago, I believe. I've been in Arkansas since 2016, so probably 2018 was my very first time. Okay. I haven't looked back since. <laughs> yeah, that, I've heard, I mean, we've all, I mean, <laughs> I haven't had Ryan on here yet, but Ryan is the reason for a lot of us being where we are. For sure. And um, looking at that, where we were just tonight, everybody there to see Chad, I knew um, quite a few guys there, quite a few uh, families there, and it's all because of him and just how he builds up other people and um, just uh, just everything it's going on in Conway. There's a lot of things going on that and it's all a testament of him. But you also have something you weren't look, thinking you were going to be doing yeah. a few years back. So tell me about that because I've heard, I've heard you weren't really even about those type of things. Yeah, so really when talking about Ryan, he 
man, like I was a student of his back in 2015. I went to um, a long gun course that he was offering out, out where we now work. And I was kind of that student that challenged him and <laughs> challenged policy. And ultimately he, he fought on my behalf to, to at least raise some concerns, but I was told to shut up in color. And so I did. <laughs> and that's was one of the motivators to, to get me down to where we work now. So I can maybe be part of the change, be the change agent. Right. And so Ryan, as soon as I got to work, he, you know, just naturally preaches to people, you know, he speaks truth and wisdom and, and life in the people. And he did that for me. And he kept telling me that I needed to go to man alive. And I turned him down and I, I made excuses set for several years. Yeah. And then ultimately one time I was like, I'm all right, I'm in. And I get up there on Friday night and I did not, or sorry, Thursday night. I didn't know anybody. And I felt so out of place that I almost got in my car and left. And as I was walking across the parking lot to my car, my um, buddy that I know, Josh, he came up and said, hey, brother, what's up? And we just, like, I was all in. And the next couple of days changed my life. Like, I carried so much baggage around. I was not a good person. I, I've done lots of stupid stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm a sinner. I've fallen way short of the glory of God. And during my very first Man Alive, I just really confessed all my sins. I asked for forgiveness. I wrote everything that I've ever done wrong on a piece of paper, prayed over it, prayed for forgiveness, laid it at the foot of the cross, and then ultimately threw that piece of paper in the fire. And when that went away, I just felt this relief from the Holy Spirit that I was just like free and clear. Like my sins were forgiven and I had a a blank slate to move forward. And so, you know, Ryan always says, you know, you can't find growth in your comfort zone. You need to get out of your comfort zone. And I've kind of taken that to heart. And when I was in North Carolina visiting my brother-in-law, well, my family also lives there, but I was hanging out with my brother-in-law one night. He's in a men's group where they hang out by a fire, they drink beer, they drink bourbon, they just, you know, casually have, you know, some drinks, but they get really deep in the word and they have a really good Bible study and it's, and it's real and it's raw and it's just really good. And as I went to that a couple of times, I'm like, man, for months and months and months, I just felt this calling to do something very similar in Arkansas. But once again, I'm, I'm nobody, I'm nobody special. I'm not, you know, they, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies to called. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And so I guess, told some people that I was thinking about it and they encouraged me to do it. And I started a men's group called Bibles and Beer. And it was kind of cool. You know, I, we did video series and different things that were focused on a variety of different topics. And that started off in the my upstairs of my house. We had just two or three people coming. And over the, the years, now we've been doing this for about three years now, we had to put a cap on the, the size of the, the group because it just got too big and it was too many people. And, kind of lost an intimacy of men being able to be truly vulnerable. And now that we have a cap on it and we have some boundaries, healthy boundaries to maintain the, the closeness and oneness of the group, we've been able to get deeper in the word. We've been able to be more vulnerable with our stories and our testimonies. And it's just been such a blessing, you know, for others, but more so a blessing for me. You know, I've, it's brought my, my level with God to a, a whole nother level. Yeah, I've, um, I live a little bit of ways, uh, wave, but I've come to a few of them now and you can, once you have a group of guys that you can uh, disciple with and fellowship and just grow in God, it, it's, it's what you need that. Mm-hmm. And, um, I know Ryan's hit on it in different things and even Chad did tonight where you need certain types of friends in your life. For sure. And um, definitely the spiritual friends, you know, the, the God-centered friends are huge. You know, especially the ones that will call you on your BS. Like, That's what I was saying, like the accountability partner. That's the, the piece that a lot of people are missing. They'll let you go astray and, and not call you back. You know, they, and so the accountability partners, 
important. Like if you don't feel like going to the gym and your buddy texts you and says, Hey, I'll meet you. You better be there. You feel compelled to go. It's the same thing. If you know that somebody's slipping or struggling in a certain area, you need to call them on their BS and, and be an encourager to get them back on track. Cause in turn, you're going to need the same thing and you would hope that they would do it for you. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I know it was sometime last year you kind of took a step back. Yeah. So it passed it on. Yeah, for sure. So sometimes when you do something, you get overwhelmed. And for me, you know, I don't know when my time in Iraq, my time in the military, my time just in life as a police officer, I've seen a lot of gruesome stuff and I struggled with PTSD for a while. I didn't I didn't know that that's what it was. I became very distant from my family and even, you know, left my wife for a period of time and we just struggled through a lot of areas and the getting back on track, getting back into the the word, getting I mean this has been small incremental bits of change and I still struggle, I think, with being overwhelmed at times. And when you lead a group, we were meeting weekly and then we changed it to bi-weekly. And then we, um, I just had to put boundaries on it, not so much for the group, but for me as well. It became a job. And so my job at work, I'm 100 miles an hour start to finish. And I come home and then I have to prep for people coming. My wife wants the house clean. So um, I don't think any of my friends would care the cleanliness of my house, but it matters to her. So cleaning the house, watching whatever video series, taking notes, prepping, it just became a, a, a like a, a secondary job for me. Yeah. Like yeah. And so that stressor just got to be too much and I was getting overwhelmed. And I almost actually thought about because dissolving the group and just saying, hanging up the town, say, you know, let it be. But I just knew that the group was too important for the certain men that were in the group and for myself included. I just didn't see it at the time. And so I passed the baton to my buddy, Justin, and told him, hey, can you just operationally handle this for a while? I'll assist, but I just don't want to deal with it at the moment in the capacity in which I was doing it. And so I stepped back a little bit. I still attended every every time, and I still co-taught and even led some of the 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 months that we got together, but I guess how to distance myself. You have to know your boundaries and, and respect them. And so it gave my buddy Justin a good opportunity to lead from the front and, and work through some of his stuff. And it was it ended up being a good thing. I've kind of taken it back over now and we're back on the right track. So it's, it was a good learning experience. Yeah, it's, it's uh, there's always like seasons with these groups. Um, I know mine, uh, I was talking to my buddy Chris on the last episode about it and how it's, we've seen our trials and tribulations throughout the group, but it still continues in some fashion or another. And that's so important that we keep these things going because, you know, we talk about it in Man Alive. You have to have that band of brothers. You have to have somebody you can lean on because there's some, some things you're just not, um, always going to be able to turn to your, your spouse, you know, your wife to for, uh, there's things you're, you're going to carry on your shoulders. And when you're able to have these intimate relationships with other men where you can be vulnerable, it, it's going to help you. It's going to help, uh, relieve the stress that's may come from work or the stressors that are going to carry over into the home life. And that's so important. And it's, it's really hard for men to be vulnerable sometimes. And your approach is a little different. You know, I'm sure some some Christians are like, oh, no, you shouldn't be drinking in these situations. But I've, I've seen uh, firsthand where, you know, some people aren't, you know, so eager to just talk about things. But then, you know, they have a drink and then they feel a little more at ease to hear other people talk. And then they're going to be a little more comfortable with saying what's actually on their mind. And, you know, I've never seen it to the point where anybody's, sloppy or you know, not able to go home or anything, but um, <clears throat> I would even say 50% of the group doesn't have any drinks at all. Oh, yeah. And I would say the other 50% have one or two. But like you said, I, sometimes people are just internally 
resistant to speak what's on their heart because fear, shame, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. sometimes a drink or two can get them loosened up enough to really be vulnerable and open. And that's you know, a lot of us wear a rucksack. We all wear a rucksack mm-hmm. and we have our daily burdens and that rucksack gets heavy and when it's on your back, you don't realize how heavy it is, but your battle buddies, your band of brothers can see that it's weighing you down. They can see it on your face or your demeanor and they can't carry your load for you. They can tell you how to adjust your rock. They can tell you how to, you know, encourage you to take some of that weight out of your rock. But ultimately it's, it's a new verse you, but it's so much easier when you have a, a band of brothers, you wouldn't go in a war solo, right? You chat, <laughs> but none of us would, right? You need a fire team. Yeah. You need to be well-equipped beans and bullets. So having a, a band of brothers is that. Yeah. They, you know, and I've been guilty of just having that pride in that. Oh, I got this, you know, uh, and I, I can get through this, but that's not true. You know, it, it's, it, you know, we have a similar backgrounds as far as the military goes and everything. We're just taught, you know, just drink water, drive on, suck it up, yeah, you know, suck it up, and uh, just drive on. And that's that's why, you know, that's a probably a big reason why there's so many suicides when it comes to military and law enforcement is because they're they're supposed to be these tough guys and uh, just drive on and suck it up, like we're saying. But you know, that's God didn't make us that way. For sure. And you can think like culturally speaking, a lot of times you see a little boy crying. What does the, the parents tell him? Stop crying. Yeah. You know, like don't be in touch with your emotions. And so what happens is you just get hardened over time. If you're an athlete, your coach is going to say the same thing. You're in the military, your your senior leaders and, and drone instructors and whatever are going to say the same thing. And it just becomes this keep everything in, which becomes burdensome and makes it very difficult to carry and you don't even realize it because you're in the moment. It takes an external person typically to say, Hey, you're screwed up. You need help. Yeah. It was, it took me a long time. You know, I always was told, Oh, you have PTSD you know, from family. And I was like, no, like, you know, uh, I've got buddies that were blown up and have shrapnel on them you know, and all these other crazy stories and everything. I'm like, you know, I'm all right. I don't have PTSD. And it was probably like four years, probably about four years after I got out of active duty that I was like, yeah, I think I have PTSD, you know? Sure. Like, you know, because a lot of times people look for visible scars. They're looking for somebody with a, a prosthetic or some kind of serious battle wound. But you could be emotionally amputated as well. You know, you can, the, the things that are in your mind that you, that haunt you, those, those are just as dangerous as those wounds that you can visibly see but the ones you visibly see are usually cared for by a doctor and such and the ones that we keep internal for whatever reason we don't talk about them and we carry that and those demons haunt us yeah and that's that's a lot of times that's the the heaviest load right there and you know i i don't really remember the turning point and i wasn't I wasn't back on my, my, I wasn't born again when I realized I needed help, but ultimately I made that decision. And I I think I'm kind of an anomaly in that situation because, you know, most of the decisions I've made in my life, even if I was the one that screwed them up in the first place, I was the one ultimately make the decision to make the changes, but that's not as easy for everybody else. And, um, you know, like whether it's pride or it's addiction or whatever the case is, a lot of times you have to be at least veered in the direction you need to go. And uh, especially with like PTSD, you know, with, with our background, that's not an easy thing for guys to just, all right, you know, I'm going to get help. Again, it's because of all the things we're told over all the years, but it's, it's okay to feel the way you're feeling. It's okay. I know there's, you're not alone. And there's so many ways that you can get help. And there's so many different things that, you're, you know, the biggest thing is to remember is you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Whatever, you, but also with that, just because you may not have gone through as bad of things as somebody else, that doesn't 
mean whatever you went through is lesser. Yeah, it doesn't disqualify the severity. The same thing could happen to two different people and have two totally different effects. Right. Yeah, and that's that's something. Hopefully, y'all can, if you know, some, at least one of y'all maybe uh, can just hear that. And um, because you know, especially like a man alive, we hear all these stories, and you know, there's always those guys that are like, oh, I'm not gonna get up there and tell my story. My story is not as powerful or strong or dramatic as the other, but it's still your story, right? You. Um, I think fall victim to comparison. Mm -hmm. Comparison's a thief of joy. So you start yeah. comparing your background to others. It might not be the same, but it was still difficult. You still had to overcome things and you still have a story. And when you can speak your story, you, like I said, as insignificant as it is, you might hold the key to somebody else's prison and you could help them unlock that and, and walk them through it. Yeah, and, or give them the courage to take the step, right? For sure. Because, um, you know, we see a lot, like I said, a lot at the Man Alive events where, you know, some stories are like, well, it's not that bad. But, <laughs> but yeah. a lot of times it's with these people that, you know, haven't been to war or haven't had these crazy significant events. But to them, that's, that is still major. And if, it, if it's affecting you such a way that it's making a drastic change on your life, then it, it needs to be addressed. For sure. And again, as men, that's hard to to look in the mirror and be like, all right, I need to make that change. I think even when you do know, like in your heart, that you need to make the change, to actually put that into action is the difficult piece. You know, it's hard to get out of your own way. Usually somebody has to push you down the track to get the momentum going. So what would what, what kind of advice would you give for somebody to get out of their way? Or, for me personally, like just reflecting over the last 40 plus years of my life, ever, old? yeah, <laughs> with all these dreams, uh, for me looking back, self-reflecting now, I have been on a roller coaster ride. I have done really bad things. I have fallen way down, like fallen off the mountain, if you would, not just in the mountains and the valleys, but. I've just kind of swan dog off the top of the, the mountains in some situations. And every time I climb back up, I did it solo. And so my first piece of advice is never do life solo. Yeah. You need to have a, at least a small group, three people minimum, I would, would say, if not a little bit larger, but you need to be surrounded by people that can speak life into you and can hold you accountable and that are there for you when the, the people that will help you move are the people that are probably your good friends, right? Because the folks that don't answer your text when you're moving, you know where they, you know where they stand. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other piece is just in, in life and marriage at your, your job is having a God centered approach to everything. So for my, myself, I wake up in the morning and I pray over my day. I pray over my friends. I pray over people that have a variety of prayer requests. That's kind of my morning ritual before I even get out of bed. And then throughout the day, I call them flare prayers. But whenever somebody is on my heart, I just, whether I'm driving, in my office, whatever, I just pray for them on the spot. And then at the end of the night, me and my wife, we hold hands and we pray over our friends, over our marriage, over our finances, over um, a variety of things. But then we also pray for others. We pray for people that are going through difficult times, maybe marriage or financially or health related reasons. And ever since we put God at the center of our individual lives and God at the center of our marriage, our life has just been like Elon Musk, like we're sky high going to Mars, you know, like we're, it's just next level. Yeah, that's, that's, there's a common, there's a common theme there. Uh, <laughs> You know, it just took me 40 years to figure it out. Yeah, I know, but you figured it out and you're helping other men figure it out. And in turn, they're doing the same. And it, it's, you know, this has been on my heart for a while to do something. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I mean, I wasn't even on social media again until about a month ago. Uh, you know, I don't really like going into the city. <laughs> I don't want to go stand on a corner and preach or anything, but I just, you know, 
I'm surrounded by other men that build each other up, you know, with, with God at the center one way or another. For sure. And we, we work in such a unique environment. I don't think there's, some, I don't think there's probably very many, if any, other places you can work where you're surrounded by that many Christians. Other that, than that, like that, church. That, yeah, for sure. But it's like, like bold Christians that will publicly speak. Um, like, I'm not ashamed to walk down the hallway and somebody is injured and say, can I pray for you? Or that they just recently found out a bad diagnosis or that they're going through some things. Even a couple of days ago, me and a couple of the other um, supervisors, we all got together and the three of us prayed in an office over our organization just for leaders to be I guess you call it better leaders to give the wisdom and guidance to kind of guide this shit through the rough storm. But that's just a willingness and freeing the freeness of being open spiritually that other people will even, even non-believers will sometimes come up to us, some of us and say, Hey, I'm not a believer, but I know you are. You mind praying for my cousin that just got diagnosed with cancer. You know, it's just things like that, that when you're open in your faith, I believe it can change an organization. And the only reason why our particular place of employment is where it is and not where it could be or should be is because of the faith-based people that are lifting up in prayer and, and really speaking life in others that would normally be astray, if you would, you know? Yeah, and, I, and people see it. Um, the seeds have been planted. Like I said, most of us wouldn't be where we are if it wasn't for Ryan, you know? Yeah. Um, he's a good example of living out your faith. He's, he's a good example of that. Yeah, he, he lives by it. He's led us to do these different things. He led you to man alive. You guys led me to man alive. There, there's other people in our organization, not to, not saying man alive is the, is the no, only grail or anything, but it's not, but it is a, I wish it was mandatory. Almost like, Oh, I know. You know like, the Chinese military, you have to do your two years. I wish you had to do at least two man alives because I think it would change the entire culture in today's life. You know, going in, and I know you've talked about it on previous episodes, but you can't explain it. But all it's, I can tell you is for me, it was the single most important thing I've ever done in my entire life. It was the, the one place that I was able to. And like have time alone to really think about all that I've done wrong, repent for it, ask for forgiveness, and then put it behind me. I really feel like God has liberated me from the baggage that I had carried for so many years. And I walk in total freedom now. And in the past, I've gone up and down the mountain. And unless I'm kicked off the mountain, I, I'm, I feel like I'm staying on top. I've surrounded myself with really strong people. And I think that's the most important attribute to like we've discussed. And then also God's at the center of my life and it's the center of my marriage. And as long as those things stay in place, I don't think that, that there's an, another valley. I'm, I'm not anticipating one anymore. Yeah. And if it is, then I know I have a, a band of brothers and close friends that can help me back up. That's it. And no, I, I really don't know where I would be um, if it weren't for certain people around me. I know I, when I moved back down here and started this position, I was just getting back into my walk. Um, and if if I wasn't surrounded with other like-minded men that build each other up, constantly doing, um, you know, constantly physically active. Uh, martial arts, shooting, and obviously God, like I, I, I'd probably be years behind at this point, <laughs> you know, yeah. just, it, just being around people going towards the same goal is so good. And if you're wanting a change in your life and you're being surrounded by people that aren't going the way you want to go, then you probably need to change up, change up who you're hanging out with. And that's, that's a hard thing to do right there too. It is hard. And, you know, I'll be honest. It's something that I've really struggled with and my wife has been much better at it than I have, but on social media and even in our lives with family and friends, if you don't speak life, 
you don't bring happiness or joy into our, our, our household or to us personally, we distance ourselves from that. Yeah. So our circle of friends are ones that speak life into us. They're not ones that are gossiping and, and you know, putting down others. We have made very difficult decisions to create healthy boundaries. We verbalize those to the people that were affected. And if they could comply with the boundaries, then they're fine. But the ones that couldn't had a, had to be cut out and or distance because it wasn't bringing joy to our family. And that's sometimes a really, really, really difficult conversation to have and even more difficult to actually carry it out. Especially when it's family. Yeah, it's tough. There's just because, especially if you're married, just because they're your family, right? Like before marriage, once you're married, it's you and your spouse, you and your wife. Yeah, that's the new family. That's the new family. And that's, yeah. that's something that a lot of people don't realize because mm-hmm. if they're, you know, giving you negativity, saying things like, oh, your, your spouse, your husband, your wife should be doing X, Y, Z, or just constantly negative and stuff. You got to put up those boundaries with that stuff too. For sure. Because yeah, then, then you get influenced to not be authentic to your spouse. You know, you're trying to live in the way that your parents want you to be versus the way you truly feel compelled to live or even make independently make decisions because you're fearful of what they're going to think or what they're going to say. You know, when I started doing the Bibles and beer group, I didn't realize how broken a lot of my friends were. And when you're the leader of a group, you end up being the person that gets called in the middle of the night mm-hmm. saying, Hey, I guess we kicked out of my house. I don't have anywhere to go. You're the one that gets the phone call that says, Hey, I just had an affair. I don't know what to do. And it's, I started wearing some of those burdens. That was another reason why I stepped back a little bit is because people are broken and they, they're going to call out to somebody. And if they have the, the strength and courage to do that, that person they call out to needs to be there for them. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard to not wear those burdens of others because you start to feel, especially when you know them or you know their spouses as well, you know that they've hurt somebody or that they've been hurt by somebody and it makes it very difficult to 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 lead a group but despite all that i've always felt even in the moment where it was difficult at the end seeing them break through and come out on the other side is really rewarding and our marriage has struggled so much over the years and now that we're in such a great place we started another you know marriage group where we've co-led and or you know led a marriage group and trying to speak life in the couples using our story of trials and tribulations and where we've gone wrong and what we've learned from a variety of different you know conferences and and studies that we've done devotions that we've done and now it's the same thing like we're seeing couples that are that are broken and they're coming out and they're better where they're having coping skills to get through it. And it's really rewarding, super, super rewarding. Yeah. That's, that's so awesome. And that's, I'm, that's like with this podcast, if I can, with all my guests on here and everything, if we can reach and just one person get something out of it to start making a change for the better in their life. Like, even if I never know about it, I still have that, that hope that somebody's going to, and yeah. as it grows, and I've, I've talked to a couple of people that have been listening to it and they've been, they're telling me they're enjoying it and everything. And I just know that it's, it's gotta be making the right effects. And, um, that's what we're called to do, right. Is to the commission is to create disciples and spread the word. And like you're doing with the different marriage groups, how your, your Bibles and beer has spread everything. It's, it's what we're supposed to do. And it's, um, pretty awesome. I read a quote the other day. It said, you never know which church service will profoundly touch your life, but it won't be the one you missed. And that's another thing. I feel this conviction to be at church, but not like church isn't a building, right? It's, it's the people within the building. And for me, not just taking the leading groups out of it, for me getting poured into. So when I was leading the groups, I was pouring my cup out into others and nothing was filling my cup. So going to church on Sunday, 
I go to a men's group called New Breed on Tuesday mornings at 6 a.m. before work. Uh, we go to a, a couple's small group on Wednesday nights, and then we have a marriage small group on Sunday nights, and then I do the Bibles and beer once a month. So that sounds like a lot, but for me, it's pouring into my cup every one of those times and in different attributes, whether marriage, life, work, whatever the case. And so it's a well-rounded cup pouring and allows me then to be able to pour out to others when needed. Yeah, it's so good. Um, there's a, I know there's a visual, like a, like a cartoon short that I've seen like that, where the guy's just going around and was it, was it at Main Alive or was it one of the marriage groups? Maybe not. I don't, I don't it's like a, it's like a, like a, just like a stick figure drawing and the guy's going around and just taking, oh, no, is it the dog? No, I'm sad. I miss my dogs. <laughs> the guy's going around just like, t- like absorbing everybody's negativity throughout the day. And then he goes home and pets his dog and then he's all better. Oh, he's all so, yeah. That no, was I'm not, I've, never, <laughs> I've never seen that. But that, I mean, you think about it, a lot of times if you hang around negative people and or people that are in a bad spot, you, you tend to cling to that. You know, you start to wear those emotions or their, their sorrows and you have to really cognizant of that and, and ensure you wash it off through some kind of way, whether it's going to church or being involved with your friends or a small group or something you need to get poured into because if not, it'll eat you up. Oh, absolutely. You know, misery loves company. For sure. I mean, I, I, sometimes I look back at just, just relationships, friendships, everything in the past. And it's like, why did I, why did I deal with, that negativity for so long, right? You know, you even especially you try and give them help, give them help, you know, give them the what they want to do, but they just they're comfortable in being miserable. Yeah, I think some people just that's the, their nature, right? You can they don't want to get better because then they're not going to have anything to complain about. Yep. <laughs> and it's unfortunate. I I've unfortunately learned the hard truth of that with pouring in the people that don't receive it. And so once again, that's where the healthy boundaries come into play. And, they call on me, so be it, but I don't proactively go seeking them out anymore. And those situations, you just got to you know, pray for them. For sure. Well, on that note, um, appreciate you jumping out here with me, and uh, I'm going to let you pray it out. Yeah, I just want to say first thanks for having me on the, the podcast. I also appreciate your friendship. I know you're one of my my band of brothers I could always call on, and that's important to me. So I appreciate you. Sir. All right, I'll pray it out. Father God, thank you so much for allowing Paul to create this modality in which he could reach others. Lord, I ask that you bless his podcast. I ask that you bless the listeners of it, that you speak life into each one of them so they can speak life into others. Pray a hedge of protection over each and every person that is listening. Let them know that a band of brothers or a circle of friends is important, that God at the center of their life is important, and if nothing else, that they can lean on you because you are the way, the truth, and the light. And so um, just close us out tonight. Thank you for allowing us to have the opportunity to have a friendship, to be able to sit down and, and speak on this podcast. And thank you for our continued blessings, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Until next time, God bless.